conversations. Today is a very, very special edition in that we are focusing only on women's hockey today. And joining me is a very special guest named Eleni. Eleni is a writer for The Ice Garden, our sister SBN blog that covers all things women's hockey. Thanks for joining me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's talk about the rivalry series because... Okay. USA versus Canada, always a pretty big draw. Yeah, it's it's the biggest. I think that the two like biggest rivalries in international women's hockey are Sweden and Finland and uh, USA versus Canada. And I think that USA and Canada are a little closer to each other than uh, Finland and Sweden are. So it tends to be the big rivalry in the sport. Is it just because USA and Canada have been dominant for so long? I think it's a combination of things. I think that's a big part of it. Um, but the proximity, the geographic proximity is another big part of it. Um, a lot of these players, and I think that this is similar with Sweden and Finland in a way too, because there are Finnish players who play in the Swedish league and vice versa. But uh, U.S. and Canadian players will play together in college on college teams and then play against each other for national teams and play together on have, – have played together on professional teams and then play against each other. And I think that that adds a little – a level of competition that you don't see otherwise. And then just the – it's been – for a long time, they were the, the two, like, powerhouse countries. It's been like that for 20 years. So there's a there's a a long long history of specifically these two teams going going at it and being the two teams in the gold medal game almost every single gold medal game of every single tournament that has existed for 20 years with some some exceptions. Where does Russia fit into the greater scheme of international women's hockey? Cuz I mean you mentioned that so I generally, I personally put Russia in the top five, obviously, but so because you have Sweden and Finland and then USA and Canada, but kind of Russia almost feels like it's its own little island to me. I would rank Russia above Sweden right now. Uh, Sweden just got relegated uh, after this last Worlds last year, so they won't be competing uh, in the top tier World Championships this year. Uh, they've been completely shafted by their federation. Um, which is a lot of the problem. I think that if the Swedish players got the support that they're asking for, they would easily be challenging Finland and probably soon the U.S. and Canada as well. But right now I would I would rank them below Russia. I think Russia has a lot of 
very talented young players and primarily their problem is that they spend a lot of time in the box and we say we can say that about USA versus Canada we've certainly see certainly seen that in the rivalry series this year and we tend to see it in cycles but I think Russia uh, I think the differences in games against Russia they're not drawing penalties whereas with USA versus Canada games it's very rarely only one of those teams that's spending a lot of time in the box it's usually pretty even uh, but Canada uh, against Russia or USA versus Russia, Russia tends to be spending a lot of time in the box. And so we're not, you can't really be sure how good Russia could be if they could sort of get out of their own way in that, in that sense. But I think that they're, I would agree that they're top five. I would rank them probably fourth or fifth right now. Um, I would put the Czech Republic up there somewhere too. I think that they're on the up and up as well. Definitely was not expecting you to talk about the Czech Republic, but I feel like even in the men's hockey that they are a growing, um, a growing force to be reckoned with. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, two of the, two of last year's NWHL standouts are, you know, Czech Republic national team mainstays. So, uh, Kakam Razova and um, Denisa Krizova are, you know, big parts of that national team who have done great things um, at Minnesota and Northeastern and did great things in the NWHL last year and have been playing in Sweden this year in the SDHL. Um, and uh, one of the top line players uh, for Clarkson women's hockey team is also on their national team. I think they have a lot of young talent too, and they don't really have the penalty problem that Russia has. So, you know, as these players start to get a little older and spend more time in professional leagues like the SDHL, or even if some of them end up in the NWHL again, uh, I think that we could see the Czech Republic start to really push specifically, I think, at Russia and Sweden. Uh, you mentioned that USA and Canada. Um, I think you kind of talked a little bit about their their penalties. Uh, I feel like all of their games are very heavily penalized affairs. There's a lot of uh, body checking in, or body checking penalties, I should say, in um, in USA Canada tilts. Yeah, I think um, it depends on the tournament as to what kinds of penalties you're seeing. In my experience, I think. In Worlds and uh, Four Nations, you see more stick infractions, so hooking penalties, slashing penalties, tripping penalties. And then when it's a quote-unquote friendly series like this, people tend to hold themselves back a little bit less and um, definitely have seen a lot of body checking or interference um, that really is or boarding, you know, whatever, those those kinds of more body and less stick penalties. I have definitely noticed that this time around. And I think that you see less of that when it's um, for something that matters, like a trophy or a medal. I think that they tend to, to scale it back a little bit. But it also just depends on the makeup of the rosters, too. So in this particular series, um, this USA-Canada rivalry series that is happening this weekend, Saturday, the 8th, down in Anaheim, California. So I think there's still tickets available. Go get your tickets if you, if you still can. Um, 
what do you generally say to people who don't believe that there is a quote unquote physicality to women's hockey? Um, I think that the differences in the physicality, I think that there are differences. Obviously I watch plenty of NHL hockey and even college hockey. And I think that I will always concede that there are physical differences in the game that men and women play. Part of it is the way that they're taught. Part of it is the way that it's reft. Um, but I think that anyone who genuinely thinks that there is no physicality in the women's game probably has not watched a women's hockey game. Um, even at the college level, I was just at a BU versus Vermont game. Um, I think that women tend to prioritize the puck more than men do in play, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to hit each other. It's just that the context of the hits are different. You very rarely see an open ice hit and you almost never see an open ice hit go unpenalized, which is not true with men's hockey, but women will go hard into the corners and jostle each other off of the puck. They will find ways to throw elbows into ribs you know, they're going to push each other out of the way in front of the net. They will defend their goaltenders. I've seen fights break out. I've seen almost fights break out. Um, I think that the physicality might be different, but it's definitely present. And especially with these two teams, I, I don't know if hatred is really the word that I would use anymore. I think it used to be like that probably more 10 years ago, but they're very, very competitive with each other. And they are really two or three seconds away at any moment of just tossing it all out the window and going after each other. Um, and I mean, that's the kind of thing we like to watch when we watch like NHL rivalries. It's one of the reasons people really like to watch like the Bruins play the Canadians is, is that level of just like pure competitive physicality. And you still see that in the women's game. It just looks different. I was just thinking it's like, um, that hockey movie that everybody loves to refer to, except now I can't figure out which movie it is. You know, the one with like where everybody just has the, they just throw off all their gloves and then they just get into like this complete line brawl. Cause I definitely could see that happening with USA. Actually, I think that they have come close a couple of times. USA and Canada have come really close a couple of times in these friendly series where someone says something or someone does something just to push the envelope a little bit. And there's damn near been a brawl. Yeah. I think it's a little bit less now than it, it seems to me that the energy is a little bit more, not friendly, but it's chirpier. Like it's, it's, they're joking a little bit more. Um, whereas when you were watching the Olympics in 2018, I think that there was a level of like actual animosity underneath it that you don't get in a friendly series. Um, but I think that they're more willing to get in each other's faces when they're being funny about it. So I think that this series, there's been a lot of players who used to play on CWHL teams together or NWHL teams or college teams. And those players particularly like to give each other a lot, um, a lot of jawing, a lot of chirping going on between players who have been teammates in the past. And that's a lot of fun to watch because you're not ever really worried someone's going to get punched in the head. Um, they're just going to grab each other and shake each other and maybe push each other over, which is nice. <laughs> I was going to make a dirty comment, but <laughs> we'll leave that to listeners' imaginations. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
All right. So there's big names, you know, there's Hillary Knight, there's uh, Decker and Marie Philip Poulin. Uh, but outside of those really, really big names, who are some people, some players to watch out for in this USA-Canada rivalry series? Um, so in when they did it, they did a couple games in December 1st. And for the two games that they played in December, they both rosters had NCAA players on it. Um, but because the rivalry series resumed in February, um, there are no NCAA players on the rosters right now because the NCAA season is starting to ramp up. We have the bean pot here and, you know, you're drawing towards the end of the regular season. So uh, coaches are not very keen to lose their, their top players this time of year. So um, there are some great NCAA players that showed up in those first two games that you won't be able to watch. But I think of the players who are on the rosters right now for this second half, um, two of the best players for Team USA have been Kelly Panic uh, and Alex Carpenter. So Kelly Panic uh, is a Badgers grad. She no, she's a Gophers grad. Wow, I should be excommunicated for that. Uh, she she went to Minnesota. She played with Castle. She played with Brant. You know that whole squad. She was a big part of it, and she really tore it up in the NCAA with them. And she spent the first part of her national team career uh, kind of hovering on the fourth line. In the Olympics, they had her with the Lamoureux twins um, on and off. And she had not really gotten an opportunity to play significant minutes until probably Worlds um, last year. And she has really just seized the opportunity and impressed me and I think impressed anyone who's been able to watch. And um, she has, she's tied for the lead in the series with four points. All of them are assists. She's a center. She's winning her face off. She's creating a lot of opportunities. She's very good at taking up space in the crease and taking away the goalie's eyes and very, very smart communicating really well with, her line mates, she's been with uh, Carpenter and Kessel for the whole series. And it's uh, no mystery that Carpenter and Kessel both also have four and three points respectively. That line's really been clicking. And Carpenter also has four points. Two of them are goals. Two of them are assists. She was on the bubble. She got cut from the 2018 roster for the Olympics. It was very controversial. Obviously, they won anyway. But uh, a lot of people questioning and will question forever whether or not that was the right decision. And she has definitely proven, I think, that she belongs on this roster for Worlds. And I think if she can stay in form, belongs on the roster for the next Olympics. Uh, and it's been very cool to see her sort of come back from from being cut from the Olympic team and make the kind of make the kind of effort and impact that has sort of cemented that line into um, the first line on a team that has players like Hillary Knight and uh, Brianna Decker and Kendall Coyne Schofield now on lines that aren't the first. What about for Canada? Who should we watch out for with Canada? Um, so Victoria Bach has scored two goals in this series, despite the fact that she has been on the fourth line the entire time which basically means she's doing a lot with very little time that she's being given. She scored the overtime winner the other day uh, in, I think, the only game that Canada has won so far. Let me double check. Uh, yeah, the only game that they won so far. She, um, she scored the overtime winner, and she also scored their only goal um, 
in the first game in, uh, in Hartford. So she's been able to convert on the power play and also in overtime. And um, she's young. She's only a couple years out of school. She went to a BU, actually. And I think that if, she, if they will reward her with the ice time that I think that she's earned, she's going to be a player to keep an eye on. Um, I think they have three very good goaltenders, but Mashmeyer to me has been the one who has stood out the most. She has the best save percentage of the three goaltenders that they have with them in the rivalry series. She's got a 0.920 save percentage. And um, she, you know, they lost that game uh, last night, Wednesday night when she was in net, but one of those goals was an empty netter. So, you know, she, she only conceded two goals and her team only had 12 shots in front of her. So I don't know that it's really fair to attribute that loss to her in that way. I think that when you put a team in front of Mashmeyer, who's going to work really hard to score goals, she can give you the opportunity to win pretty much any game against the USA or otherwise. So she's also pretty young. And I think, you know, challenging uh, her and Lacoste are going to be the two that they're looking to see who's going to be the number one for Worlds. And I would give her the edge right now, um, even though her historically her record against the Americans specifically has not been great. But I think if she can get behind a team that's really going to do a lot of work in front of her, she might see that turnaround. Um, generally, when is Worlds? Uh, it's usually late March, early April. This year, it's going to be in Halifax. So do you think we'll see many NCAA players? Because that's right around playoffs, isn't it, for them? Yeah. Um, I mean, they will probably take a few. BC is not going to go anywhere um, this year in the playoffs. So I'm sure we'll see Barnes come back. Um, I wouldn't be super surprised if we saw someone like maybe Hannah Bilka or, you know, McKenna Newkirk or someone sort of random from BC come as like a, a 13th forward or something. Um, I think BU, you might see Jesse Comfer come. They're probably going to want Maddie Rooney if they can get her. Um, or Aaron Frankel from Northeastern, although I think Northeastern probably has a pretty significant chance of going kind of far in the playoffs this year. They've been pretty ridiculously good, and a lot of that has to do with Frankel, so I can't imagine they would be eager to let her go even to Worlds. Um, I, I would say you might definitely see a couple of them. We've seen it before, um, but it won't be like it was. It won't be like it is for, you know, the December games that they play when class is out of session or even when there's four nations in November, you know, you'll see more NCAA players around that time. They're really only going to bring players to worlds from NCAA teams that they feel very, very strongly that they can't do without, which is going to be someone like Kayla Barnes, who has at this point is a veteran, which is wild because she is a junior in college. So that makes her what? 21. I think she just turned 21, yeah. She was 18 <laughs> when she was brought into centralization for the 2018 Olympics. I feel like we have seen Kayla Barnes for so long. We have. That yeah. it's wild to me. She's barely of legal drinking age in the U.S. Yeah. she. I mean, she's incredible. And I remember when they brought her into centralization, none of us – I mean, not none of us. I'm sure there were people who knew she, who, she, uh, who she was, but there were a lot of us who were like, who is this kid? 
And I remember them interviewing uh, the captain at the time, Megan Duggan, about it. And she was like, yeah, she's very young, but she's so mature emotionally and intellectually that it feels like you're playing with someone who is 10 years older than her. And I think that we've really seen that poise. And it's something that is very valuable that she brings to uh, the USA Blue Line. That's just uh, just a mental, just an intangible thing on top of her ability to create scoring chances, particularly on the power play, which is a very um, a very BC defense thing to do between her, Keller, and Matheson, uh, BC, BC grads or current players, defensemen who create a lot of uh, offensive chances. All right, so we probably, well, we definitely won't see her this weekend, but no, uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think we will see? What are your predictions for the rivalry series this weekend? Um, I think Team USA's bounce back. So they lost in overtime, game three, and then game four they came out and won it three to one. And one of those goals was an empty netter. Uh, in both of those last two games, you had a player on Team USA get their first goal. So defenseman Savannah Harmon got her first goal in the overtime loss and Haley Skimura got her first goal uh, game four last night. And then she added an assist on the empty netter. So I think that team USA is starting to, to me, they're starting to gain a little bit of momentum that they were missing coming into these February games. Um, I think that coming into the the 3-2 overtime loss, they looked really sluggish those first two periods. They There wasn't a lot of urgency. They looked a little out of sh- shape and a little confused, and they weren't communicating very well. But I think after those first two periods, the four periods after that, they've really been gelling. And I think also something that really helps them is actually playing in Canada. I think that especially playing in Vancouver, where they won um, game four last night, I think that the older players on the team um, have a lot of not-so-great memories in Vancouver from the 2010 Olympics, and Hillary Knight sort of spoke about that a little bit this weekend, how, you know, she remembers the fans, you know, after those Olympic Games, and she felt very strongly about winning in Vancouver. I don't think that she was the only one who felt that way about it. And even the players who weren't on the roster for the 2010 Olympics, they know, and it's different playing in Canada. It's different the feeling of, you know, making a crowd really quiet, um, I think can motivate people in a way that's different than making a crowd very loud. So it'll be fun for them to finish the tour in the U S and if they can hold on to that little bit of swagger that they, they ended with last night, they probably can close it out. Uh, I think that they are as a roster, I think that they are faster than team Canada is and they're starting to, sort of understand that as long as they can avoid odd man rushes I think they have a pretty good chance of winning the game um but it could also very easily go the other way uh because Canada is one of those teams that you can't give an inch to and it's very easy to get lulled into a false sense of security and then go into a third period up a goal or two goals and end up losing in the third period or losing in overtime as we've seen Team USA has done with Team Canada many times, sometimes in Olympic gold medal games. I was going to say 2014 doesn't exist, Eleni. Stop bringing up the past. That hurts. It's not just that game. It's not just that game. Team I USA know. has a, a an unfortunate habit of, I feel like they'll play two really good periods a game and you're just playing Russian roulette with what is the period that they're going to decide that they're going to fall apart. And if you're lucky, it's the first period or the second period. And if you're unlucky, it's the third period. And you can either hold on to the last minute and pull it together in overtime, or you just, you just lose. 
So hopefully um, they don't need that <laughs> on Saturday. Hopefully they can play three really good periods. I think it's difficult. Um, they're traveling a lot. Um, a lot of them are based on the East Coast, so they're probably, you know, still adjusting a little bit um, to the the three hours is like not quite enough to be really bad, but just enough for them to be a little off. Um, but hopefully by now they're they're all set and they'll be good on Saturday, ready to roll and play 60 full minutes. On the bright side, uh, California is in the same time zone as Vancouver, so yeah, so they should be fine now. Yeah, and I think it's like a two or three hour flight. I don't even know if it's three hours. I think it's like a two hour flight, two and a half hour flight from Anaheim to Vancouver, or really Vancouver to Anaheim. So you you can't really use travel as an excuse either. No, yeah, like, they oh. should be fine. They really should be fine by now. I think we saw it a little bit in that first game when they had just gotten to, to BC. I think they looked a little – both teams looked a little, like, confused and slow. But they also, again – had taken a break. Um, only a couple of these players are playing regularly, like in league play. Uh, and because we don't see, have NCAA players on these rosters, I think some of them were still getting their legs under them for other reasons. Uh, really quickly, I just want to clarify that even though these are national team players and this is the rivalry series, this is not the same as the stop gap tour. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not. So the rivalry series started in 2017, I think. Um, it wasn't called that in 2017. It was called like the Winter Champion Series, but it's the same concept. They started doing a winter series just between USA and Canada, basically just for bragging rights. Um, so it's a series of friendlies that's put on by the federations, Hockey Canada and USA Hockey. The Dream Gap Tour is its own thing. Um, it's organized by the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association which is not a subsidiary or explicitly affiliated with Hockey Canada or USA Hockey. So it's unrelated, though all of these players either are supporters or players in the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. All right. Well, listeners, there are still $10 tickets left. Uh, so go on, if you can, head out to Anaheim, the Ponda, 7 o'clock p.m., and uh, can you watch this game on TV, Eleni? Yeah, it'll be on NHL Network. All right, there you go. So don't miss it. You really don't want to. This will be an amazing game. Now, I want to shift the focus. You touched on this a little bit earlier, the NWHL. So the NWHL is the National Women's Hockey League. Now, this is a professional women's hockey league. Is that correct? Yes. They have been around since 2015. They were the first league in North America to pay players. Um, they're not making a living wage, but they are making money to play hockey, and that's still a pretty new thing in, in North America. I think they're pretty incredible, personally. I mean, they work 40-plus hour work weeks, and then they have practice twice a week at like 10 o'clock and then games every weekend. I think they're pretty amazing just personally. Yeah. yeah, I agree. They get, they get bye weeks. Um, so that helps, but, and there are some of them who actually are making just enough money to not have to work full time. So I know that Madison Packer, who is not even making the league maximum, um, is making enough money this year Anya, her wife Anya, told me she's making enough money this year that she doesn't have to work full-time. She can work part-time. 
So I think a lot of times we think in black and white in terms of like you either have to have a full-time job while you're playing or you don't have to work at all, but there's actually kind of more flexibility than that. And I think especially in a growing gig economy, there are options for athletes to continue to work while not working 40 hours. And it's really interesting to see NWHL players start to move into maybe an area where they can not rely entirely on an NWHL salary, but rely enough on it that they don't have to work two full-time jobs. That's a really uh, fair point. So uh, as a primer, there are five teams in the league, Boston, Metro, Connecticut, Buffalo, and Minnesota. The original four, or the founding four as they're called, that kind of makes sense from a geographical standpoint, but Minnesota is its own little island out there. Yeah, so what happened with Minnesota is way back a uh, long time ago, there was a, an NWHL before this one completely unrelated, and the Whitecaps, the, the OG Whitecaps were a part of this league. Um, and the CWHL, which folded in May, um, sort of swallowed a couple of the teams from that old NWHL when the old one folded, but Minnesota didn't end up joining them. Um, you can look that up on Wikipedia if you want the whole story, but so the Whitecaps continued to exist, but they didn't have a league. So the Whitecaps have existed for years I mean, they existed pretty much for a decade without a league to play in um, and played exhibition games against college teams and boys teams, um, actually very similar to what the PDWHPA players are doing now, um, just sort of on their own. And, and, you know, you've had, there were Olympians from Team USA who played on the Whitecaps, not in a league, but played regularly with the Whitecaps or sort of regularly with the Whitecaps. Um, uh, Alex Cavallini used to play there. Both the Lamar twins played there. Uh, Hannah Brandt played a season there. Um, lots of other players who graduated from the University of Minnesota or even the University of Wisconsin ended up playing there before they had a league. And I think what happened was the NWHL, you know, was thinking they wanted to expand, but there's no easier way to expand than to take a fully formed team with a history and a roster and add it to your league. So they got really lucky that the team existed in a great market. It had been around long enough that people knew they were there and sort of had an existing fan base, even if it maybe at the time was a little smaller than it is now. Um, and so they, they drew the Whitecaps in. I don't think the Whitecaps are owned by the league. I think they're privately owned. Um, I know they're partnered with the Wild, which is very cool. And although Minnesota is a lot further away from the other teams than the other teams are from each other, they sell out probably more frequently than anybody but Boston. Um, and their rink holds somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 people the last time I checked. So that's kind of a lot of people. And you always get, you know, for big games for Minnesota, sometimes you'll get anywhere from 10,000 to um, 10,000 to 15,000 people watching on the Twitch streams, which is pretty crazy. That's pretty cool. They're, uh, they're so dominant. They actually just handed the Boston Pride their very first loss of the season. They did. Uh, that was an incredible game. Uh, can you kind of give me, like, the 30-second summary of what happened in that game? Yeah, so I think that Minnesota and Boston are very similarly uh, situated teams. I think they have 
similar rosters and that's what makes those games really close um their strengths are very similar they're very fast very skilled teams um so you know they're not relying really on physicality as much so the game is a very very fast game um and you know what kind of player thrives in a very fast game a player that happens to also be a speed skater so Allie Thunstrom who is a Boston College alum um she is a Minnesota Whitecaps player she is a speed skater um she almost went to the Olympics for speed skating just like she almost went to the Olympics for ice hockey and she blew past everybody um with like 30 seconds left of the game and and won the game for the Whitecaps uh kind of at the last minute um so I think it's just a very even game and it really comes down to the team that's going to outskate the other team and it's truly a coin flip with these guys so it should be pretty wild um should they meet again in the playoffs they wouldn't be first no they would be second round is that correct yeah because uh the pride have locked in the number one seed and i think minnesota has locked in number two now so they if they play each other they'll play each other in the second round so there is a big event coming up coming up this weekend for the NWHL. Uh, It is their All-Star Weekend. Saturday is the skills competition, and then I believe Sunday is the All-Star Game, right? Yep. All right, so how can people watch this? It'll be on Twitch for free. Um, So twitch.tv slash NWHL. Um, They're going to have, you know, a host – who I believe is a is a pretty prominent Twitch slash gaming personality. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but they have a host. Um, there may even be multiple camera angles, which is kind of a new thing for uh, non-national team hockey, I think. Um, there's going to be uh, a new skill this year. They have a relay race, which is going to be hilarious and a lot of fun. <laughs> I believe there's also like an accuracy shooting competition. There's a passing competition. Um, you know, I think the game is always a lot of fun, but for me, the skills competition is the best part. Um, the game is fun because just like with any all-star game, it's a lot of fun to watch players who usually play against each other, play together and players who usually play together, play against each other. So there, are, there really is no team that's like mostly one of, of the two teams. They're pretty well mixed between the five. And every, every player who has been in the NWHL since the beginning of the NWHL is here. So anybody who has been in the league since it started is on an all-star roster. So anyone from the founding four teams, they are all on an all-star roster. Well, weekend. anyone who was, like, here in 2015. Oh, so, I see. Okay. Yeah, Madison Packer is one captain. Jillian Dempsey is the other captain. She's also – they're both also captains of their teams, Metro and Boston. And then Kaylee Fracken, Alana Orlando, Shannon Doyle, uh, Kira Dosdall, uh, Jordan Brickner. Um, those are all players uh, – Corinne Bowie. Those are all players who were – they came to the NWHL when it – started and they've been here ever since um and um rebecca morse also and lexi bender i think i want to say those guys too were uh were og players but they were also maybe not i don't know anyway the point is anyone who's been there from 2015 to now 
was automatically added to the rosters this year because it's the fifth year and the NWHL wanted to uh, sort of honor the players that have been there since the beginning. About how many players do you think are left from 2015? Like 10? I can count them. Eight, yeah. Eight. Looks like eight. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to you list them off. I was like, it's more than five, but yeah, I think it's it sounds eight. like, yeah, less than 10. All right. You know, and, and eight actually is also the number of pride players who are on all-star rosters. Which is <laughs> how, how were the all-star rosters selected this year? Um, I think they were drafted. So the way that it's always worked is that you have like the captains are named. And then this year you had like a couple players that you knew were going to be in it because they were the OGs. And then there's always a fan vote to like send certain people to the all-star game. There were three uh, fan vote players this year. So Audra Richards, uh, Rebecca Morse and Lexi Bender were the fan vote players. And then the captains Dempsey and Packer get to draft who they want on their team. Okay. So the all-star weekend, if you happen to be around Boston, uh, it will be at Warrior Ice, which is the Boston Bruins uh, uh, practice rink. Uh, and it starts at, if I can find this. 8 p.m. on Saturday is the skills competition. Thank you. Yeah, 2 p.m. 2 p.m. is the game on Sunday. And there's also, I think on Saturday morning, there's like a Skate with the Stars event where you can get – you know, buy a ticket and go skate with some of the all-stars that morning. I think it's like, I don't know. It might be like 9 a.m. to 11.15 or something. I mean, that's pretty cool. And it is. It's very cool. And these guys are super, they're very approachable. They're very fun. It's a really fun group, and they're very excited. I mean, anyone that I've spoken to is very excited to be here this weekend. So I think – if you're someone who has only ever watched NHL All-Star Games, you might be surprised by how much fun these, these women are having this weekend. Do you know if they're going to have a um, hardest shot competition? Because I think Blake Bolden set the record in 2015, was yeah. it? So they will, they will have a hardest shot competition. I think this year it's a slalom hardest shot. So you're Ooh. skating through a couple cones and then taking the hardest shot, which is really interesting. That is, that's going to be really fun to see. Yeah, um, I think so. I mean, because it's one thing just to see a bunch of people line up and, and shoot at an empty net, but they kind of added a twist, which I think is really interesting because it's a little bit more um, true to a game. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, um, do you have any predictions for who's going to win the All-Star game on Sunday? Um. I mean, I live in Boston, so I, I'm going to have to go with Team Dempsey. But I actually really do think that their roster is going to be very, very hard to beat. They have some of the best defensemen and the best forwards in the league. And I think that their team is faster. And I think ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. Um, you know, they have Thunstrom. Um, they have Taylor Kersey. They have McKenna Brand. They have Nicole Schammel. They have a bunch of rookies that are very fast and then other players that are just known for being very fast. Um, and then they have shut down defenders like Lexi Bender, Shannon Doyle, Jordan Brickner. 
Um, MJ Pelletier, who I think is the best two-way defenseman in the NWHL and probably one of the best two-way Canadian defensemen, period, right now. Um, so I think that the team Dempsey is going to be really hard to beat. And honestly, Boston pulls hard for Dempsey, so I would expect that the rink will be pulling for her also. Um, much respect to Madison Packer, but Boston fans <laughs> – don't 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 love the Riveters, so I don't know how much cheering is going to be happening. Even though she's got you know pride players like Kaylee Fracken and uh, Putigna um, uh, on her team as well. What is this rivalry between Boston and Metro? Because I feel like much like USA and Canada, they're pretty heavily penalized affairs. Yeah, I actually think. The most penalized rivalry of all time in the NWHL is the Buttes and the Riveters, which makes sense because the Riveters were originally a New York team. Oh, that's true. Um, So it was like a New York rivalry, and then they moved to New Jersey, but I think that carries over. And both of those teams are very, very physical teams, Um, you know, in contrast to the hallmark of Minnesota and Boston is being fast. So I think – watching a Riveters pride game is sort of like unstoppable force meets a movable object. And they get, they get into a little bit of trouble with that. But I also just think that it's, it's not that, not that there's any team in this league that doesn't have a strong personality, but I think that the Riveters and the pride have extremely strong personalities on their teams who respect each other Mm -hmm. immensely, but are also just very, very competitive with each other. Also, I think that it's, you know, the league's been around for five years and there are people on the Pride team who remember the year that the Pride had a bad season and the Riveters did not. And the Riveters came to Boston and, Mm -hmm. you know, they showed off and they (laughs) were not shy about sort of beating the Pride into a pulp. (laughs) I was there, you know, so I think that's something that some of the vets on, on the Pride remember and, I'm sure, and still in the younger players. Um, but I, I mean, I would not say that there are any two teams in this league that are particularly friendly with each other. I have never been to an NWHL game and been like, wow, I really wish these guys would just compete with each other because <laughs> they, are, they are always going to play hard, um, whether there's hope of them winning the game or not. Um, so I think it comes down to personality a lot in that case. Um, real quickly, before we wrap this up, uh, the Connecticut Whale, they are definitely last in the le- last in the league, but I feel like now that Colton Orr has really focused his full attention on the Whale, they're getting a lot better. They're, I don't want to say that they're more competitive, but I feel like they're in the games more. Would you agree? Yeah, I actually would say that they're more competitive. I don't think it's wrong to say that. Um, I think that they've, you know, they've had a couple great PTO signings. Um, They got Janine Weber, who has played for the Riveters in the past and the Pride in the past and has played for the Austrian national team. Uh, You know, her impact has mostly been intangibles up to this point, but bringing in PTOs and having them jump into the game and, and, get some fresh legs on the ice for a team that blocks a lot of shots and has really been grinding all season. It's been really, really nice for them to get some fresh blood. And I also, you know, I have tremendous respect for Colton Orr as a coach. I think Colton Orr more than maybe anybody else in the league really has been able to adjust his expectations for what his team is capable of doing and, and the way in which his team is capable of winning games. 
I think that he's very aware of the kinds of players he has, and maybe he doesn't have the kinds of superstars that you're going to get on the Whitecaps or on the Pride or even on the Riveters, you know, but he's got players who are going to give him 110% every game and he can coach them in a way that he's coaching to their strengths. And you, this, this whale team, when they're really feeling themselves, I mean, they brought the pride. They were really hanging in with the pride when they were here last time, one game. I, I really think that they can just grind you into dust. Like it's just exhausting because they may not spend a lot of time in the ozone, but if you're in their D zone or in the neutral zone, it's going to just be a freaking grind to get to the net in a way that I think you don't see with like Buffalo or even with the Riveters some games. Um, so I could really see them coming out of the break and, and making a strong push to, to pop out of the playoffs. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what they're able to do. Um, their goalie depth is ridiculous, which I think is really going to help them down the line. And they're led by uh, their fierce captain, Shannon Doyle, who is a shot-blocking machine. And she is donating $1 for every shot that she blocks to the Room to Read Foundation, which is a local literacy program in Connecticut. Yeah, and she's also gotten a lot of players in the league to do it with her. So that's been cool to see. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right, well... Tune in to the NWHL All-Star Game this weekend. It is on twitch.tv slash NWHL. Starts at 8 o'clock, I'm sorry, starts at, yeah, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern on Saturday, 5 p.m. Pacific. That is twitch.tv slash NWHL. And the All-Star Game on Sunday is at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah, I can do math, I promise. That was right. 11, <laughs> 11 a.m. Pacific time. Yep. Uh, Alendi, you want to shout out your socials real quick? Yeah, so I'm um, at strong check on Twitter. Um, and when you go to Twitter, um, I will have – in my Twitter bio, I have the link to my author page on the Ice Garden where you can see uh, the stuff that I've written. Awesome. And you can also follow the Ice Garden – at the Ice Garden on Twitter. Thank and you. Instagram. We'll have <laughs> some inst- behind-the-scenes stuff uh, from this weekend on Instagram as well. And what about TikTok? The we also TikTok. do have a TikTok. Yes, we do have a TikTok. And it is popping off at all times. And <laughs> we, may, we may or may not have some kind of collaboration coming soon. So definitely <laughs> our TikTok. All right. So there you go. You have the Ice Garden on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And Facebook. So (laughs) follow follow the Ice Garden for all things women's hockey. And Eleni, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a good one. You too.